way back in 2008 when i entered the space of facilitation and i entered the space of facilitation in context of adventure in wilderness settings so there were many things that i was discovering about who i am and what i'm about to do and uh, and one of the things that stood out for me a lot in that time and space was the fact that i'm a woman i'm a woman who is in a very very uh, you know masculine or traditionally masculine setting of you know uh, climbing rocks and uh, going on treks and you know spending night in the dark and things like that and i don't think even for the first 3 years it hit me at all um you know that how being a woman in spaces like that uh even as a facilitator uh doesn't really take away uh you know this and sometimes there were times where i would see something and you know i would also wish that i still had a mustache and you know then it would be so much more acceptable uh you know as as a woman facilitator uh, i have been always curious does my group of learners uh in whether it's in a workshop setting or in an organizational setting do they relate to me very differently is there an aspect of empathy and emotion uh there that they mean they do they experience it differently when it compared to a male facilitator i have also you know th- reflected on a lot of things including the tools that i use or the language that i use even the music that i use in my facilitation right all of these components that define a learning space does a woman facilitator create those spaces differently um and i think there have been all of these conversations and therefore i had a very personal agenda behind today's session which was to really sit down and talk to uh you know a, a woman friend who has been uh you know really working in the space of feminism and intersectional feminism quite a bit in many ways today's guest is also somebody who uh prompted me and uh, you know gave me like a metaphorical nudge to start this podcast uh because i've been wanting to do this for a long time but it just looked like a very complicated thing until i got on a call with her one day she is the host of a podcast called fursat feminism do look it up on um uh, instagram uh it's a fantastic conversational podcast and almost each podcast i've taken away something about just my everyday life actually and i'm sure you all will also enjoy it so i'm going to very quickly you know bring in our guest arundhati shridhar who is currently located in bangalore india uh she also has a former journalist uh streak to her uh but instead of giving you all a linkedin introduction of arundhati i'm going to request arundhati to tell us her story so arundhati welcome to this episode so glad that you're here thank you thank you for having me shalini um it was i think when we when we started talking about fursat uh, feminism i mean early on when you started when you listened to fursat feminism and we had conversations about it and then later on started talking about doing a podcast on facilitation something that we are both quite passionate about and has been how we know each other is through through a space of facilitation um it 
I was so incredibly enthused by the idea and I'm so 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 excited to be on here because I've heard the first episode unfortunately that's the only one that's out uh, when at this time of recording but uh, it, and it's it's it provides so much um food for thought and uh to think as a facilitator and I'm I'm excited to 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 think uh in new new ways through this podcast but uh yeah so in terms of me I think I have I think of myself I I keep changing how I introduce myself in different settings all the time uh and I'm very much of a chameleon so where it suits me I'm a writer former journalist uh where it suits me I'm a development sector you know organizational development sort of person where it suits me I'm uh an a facilitator and podcaster um, it's all it's all multiple identities that i wear quite comfortably at this point but uh, but yeah i i think the one tag that most consistently i have introduced myself as in the last 5 years or so has been i'm a feminist and and i think that <laughs> and i think uh, and i think that sort of uh, is a lead in to so many things that i am um uh, so i say i'm a feminist uh, you know researcher facilitator practitioner um but i have had some experience uh, i i basically began my journey actually where i want to start is i want to say that this idea of uh, feminism and facilitation my entry my doing and being with both of these things uh happened before i actually found the words for them so i was a feminist and a facilitator before i knew that i was a feminist and facilitator i was doing feminism and facilitation before i knew i was uh what the words were so i think uh much of this conversation might kind of revolve around the fact that um there is a lot of intuitive uh doing that i have done in the process of being a feminist and a facilitator and a feminist facilitator and and then later on very more recently maybe in the last 2 years tried to posthumously sort of find the words for what it is that i did uh, and for i find the articulation for what it is that i did um, so yeah i think i think that's that's i think the best way to describe i most of my journey um and i like to bring this up almost everywhere is i i was born and brought up on the banks of the narmada in in the river in the river narmada in gujarat in western india and that i think shaped a lot of what i became in the years to come and a lot of how i ordered the world um in 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 how i saw it uh, i was born to doctor parents that worked in small in a small ngo um and uh my first interaction with the world was through activists and <laughs> development sector practitioners and that was the that was the space that i was embedded in uh the whole time um, so a lot of my feminist activism i think is very rooted in that uh the feminism part of it might not be but the activism part of it is definitely rooted in that space uh but i think very early on i think uh, i was i was listening to nadia on the first podcast and she was talking about how so early on she was her roots of facilitation and were how she saw her mother uh, conduct these block uh, gatherings or whatever and 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 that's how she got into it and 
and i think it's so interesting when you think about what is the first time you facilitated a space and and i think very early on i was deeply interested <laughs> in in this idea of uh, of being some sort of a active catalyst in uh, in whatever spaces i was in um whether i was the center of attention or not uh, i needed to have some impact on that space um, and and i think maybe somewhere that seed of being a facilitator was born there is this idea that you want to be in a space don't want to uh, be the one completely leading a group but want to sort of be uh, a factor <laughs> um, almost uh, yeah visibilized and visibilized but yeah i i i eventually about 5 years ago i uh, started i think my my feminism my journey to like naming my feminism uh, i would say started when i joined uh, joined anandi which is a small uh, grassroots uh, women led and uh, women's rights women's human rights organization based in gujarat um but 5 years back i joined them and it was i think anandi was the space where i basically understood that uh basically understood what feminism in practice was um so anandi works works with the most marginalized communities in gujarat so adivasis uh, dalits uh, denotified tribes uh, you know specifically within the denotified tribes with muslim denotified tribes all of that so lots of intersectional identities sort of came together and within all that uh, what is the experience of being a woman in a marginalized community uh when i say a woman i like to preface this by saying that when i say a woman i uh, obviously include trans women uh when i say man i mostly means as gender men so that's that's how i'm sort of framing uh what because there'll be a lot of man woman sort of nomenclature in this podcast and i think sort of up front i think it's important to state that but um yeah i think that that's 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 the beginning that's the introduction uh, anandi was anandi in gujarati essentially means joy uh, and i think uh, i like to say that i discovered feminism through joy because um because anandi works with building and strengthening collectives of women um to to sort of uh, claim their basic entitlements and human rights um and so the, so so my essential first role whatever the title was 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 of a, being a mobilizer being with the community as ensuring that you know uh, that conversations around basic entitlements happen that these that these processes are facilitated um and and that you you know uh, people feel faith in the, the larger idea of institutions as well as also uh, feel find faith in this idea of a collective um and i think when i say i discovered feminism through joy and feminist facilitation through joy uh, was because uh, there 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 are incredible moments uh, there were there were incredible moments of just song and dance and sloganeering and uh, you know uh, just just an incredible when people talk about activism or feminists there's such a inherent uh, idea of anger uh, embedded in this idea of feminism um and this was so different right like what i was experiencing at anandi was so different there is such an inherent optimism that the world will be different it is not this world 
the world that we are living in that is not good enough we we do demand a better world and that's not anger that's optimism and like i like to keep reiterating that because there was so much joy and optimism and the song and the you know uh, and the and the spirit of that uh, of the collectives that i worked with that i had the privilege of learning from um were have ha- embedded in me the idea that oh that's what it is and then much later sort of realized acha this is feminism <laughs> you know this idea of because uh, because my entry into feminist thinking uh, was not academic it was not professional it was not i had not been trained in it same with facilitation i had not been trained in it uh, but early on in in the process of doing all this mobilization i had the incredible opportunity to be around members of the anandi team who had sort of instinctively on the ground learned facilitation right just learned how to do meetings how to do uh, spaces of learning how to do spaces of mobilization of of you know activism mobilization that sort of thing movement building um and they had learned to do it extremely intuitively uh, sort of as they go how are people responding what are you doing that sort of that sort of thing and so that was extremely special uh, to to just observe uh, and to pick up instincts um, i think what i what i essentially picked up in my early facilitation days were these instincts uh, and i think like you said about your mountaineering journey i think this idea of this conscious idea of being a woman in that space was not very conscious for me at all uh, largely i think because anandi was almost an all women <laughs> space uh, largely women i would say um and and so it never felt like there was a sort of a resistance uh, in that sense but and and i don't know Uh, because i started with community health and nutrition which was the main thing around which i did my early facilitation you know and uh, how do you think about nutrition how do you engender nutrition how do you think about a feminist way of thinking about nutrition malnutrition all of that um and how do you lead communities how do you how do you help communities to think about nutrition differently and uh, advocate for uh, better services all of that within all of that i think uh, there was this inherent sense that maybe women will understand this better because of our incredibly womb centric idea of womanhood which is women are mothers women are maternal etc etc so i think in, in that that misogyny i had also internalized ki yeah of course i'm a woman so maybe i have more claim over the space of facilitation so it was almost ulta of of not not feeling welcome but feeling entitled to that space because i'm a woman so so that i think that happened and then slowly uh, over time my passion sort of grew into uh, young women's movement building so uh, so what we had realized was that when we were there were some young young colleagues of mine at anandi and we would keep sort of working uh, with young women all the time but so many times youth uh, are seen as in, are instrumentalized right like this idea of oh you are young you have energy let me tell you what to do you know let me tell you how the world should be this let me tell you how to uh, channel your energy or whatever right and and uh, so many young women uh, amongst all the groups that i all the communities that i spoke about uh, so many of them sort of were around us all the time were seeing us in some ways also sort of role modeling us uh, in many ways uh, in these spaces but 
uh, essentially through all of that uh, i realized that it's so important for uh, for my facilitation journey to sort of get into how does movement building happen right how does uh, because i had when i entered anandi i had already i entered a space that was quite mature these were women's collectives that were already 20 years old already had a sense of identity self uh, you know had shared some of their imposter syndromes uh, had shared so many things that come with being women uh, and visible women uh, but uh, said okay no but we need to like what is it about young women that they remain the most invisibilized uh, you know part of the communities that we go to invisibilized and at the same time the, the most violated uh, you know in terms of just violent crimes etc etc um, so how what is this this strange sort of middle that is there with young women and and how how do how do you get to a place where young women can find their voice at, through a process and and then channelize that to do uh, whatever they would want to do um, essentially um, and so we started thinking of of this uh, this fantastic curriculum for young women uh, lots of great uh, feminist ideas of how we should facilitate it design thinking lot of design thinking went into it uh, and then we hit the first cohort and uh, and i think one of your questions and i'm like way skipping the boat on like many of the questions is one of your questions was uh, what is a mistake you've made uh, in your facilitation space i think one of the biggest uh, i don't know as i think the biggest one of the biggest mistakes i made as a facilitator and a designer uh, early on is 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 this arrogance in thinking that you hold some some version of uh, the truth or answers that the participants don't have or that the participants need to be led towards um and 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 there is something so completely unfeminist about that right like th- th- this idea of the personal being the political my truth is the truth right um, so who who how can a facilitator enter a space and be like i'm telling you this is the truth right and and so so early on i think uh, because we were sort of feeling our way through that first cohort and we were incredibly close to the to the to the 40 young women that joined that first cohort from uh, you know devgarh baria in dahod which is a largely adivasi area all the way to the coast in malia morbi which is a largely dnt muslim area um just vastly different cultural contexts vastly different uh, forms of patriarchy uh, sort of operating and of course layering on top of that the other identity intersectional identities that the girls carried and how that was already a marginalized uh, uh you know identity in the society as a whole and how much the state invisibilized these identities anyway so through all of this process uh, the first cohort sort of became in many ways my learning lab as a as a facilitator of movements um and uh, and as a, as a feminist facilitator also i think um because there was so much feedback that came um and i think nadia is so right in terms of like go facilitate like school children <laughs> they will give you feedback right the, you will get honest feedback and 
after doing like young young like facilitating young feminist spaces getting into more adult spaces you feel like oh my god why is everybody posturing why is everybody you know um not being honest with how they feel like their face should tell me how how the session is going so this this active reading of of and feedbacking that was happening um uh, we did early on make the mistake of saying okay this is how we will roll out this curriculum this is how it will be so called it facilitation but actually made it a training you know blurred all these lines and and then eventually we said you know movements cannot be taught movements are the most i mean movements are the most bottom up thing that can exist right and you cannot facilitate a movement you cannot say that you know you you go and start this movement here take all the uh, raw material now go start a movement this doesn't work that way movements come together organically people come together they find a common burning issue that everybody agrees on and then organically think of actions to to counter it and and that's not something that you can teach what you what feminist facilitation i realized what a core of feminist facilitation in that time was essentially this question of what uh, what is invisibilized like visibilizing the most the, the the things that patriarchy sort of very consciously invisibilizes whether it is women's labor whether it is women women's time uh, whether it is women's uh, uh, bodies uh, and so all you know all of those things how do you visibilize the ways in which uh patriarchy exerts itself simple and 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 to do it through the most uh personal uh vulnerable sharing sort of spaces possible just to say just to sort of expose the truth right to say there is this all pervading truth it's like the emperor's new clothes somebody has to say that guy is naked like somebody has to say this is this is bullshit and and then suddenly everybody is like oh oh my god yeah you know and and it you know we as facilitators we all thrive you know we all live for that moment of epiphany in a group right we live for that one moment where something switches uh, something like there is a moment of epiphany and most of the time that doesn't come from so the facilitator saying saying anything um so so i think so much of that first cohort and then the second cohort we spent in just trying to understand how is it that we expose patriarchy ageism you know a misogyny in in the immediate uh, communities that we are surrounded in while also exposing the different intersectional ways in which these specific marginalized identities are also so it's not just a gender thing but it's a caste class you know a geo political loca- location sort of thing um that if this access is available to somebody how is this access not available to me if if this is how the world sees this person's labor how is it that my labor is seen differently my worth is seen differently um yeah and so uh, very early on i think and i think that was also the point at which i was very lucky to be in a in a in a group of in a team that was extremely reflective about what that means uh, of of what facilitation means um and it's really interesting right all of my facilitation 
learning facilitation has happened in Hindi and Gujarati, uh, Gujarati primarily. Uh, and there is no word for facilitation in Gujarati, I can tell you. It's not even one of those words where you can use facilitation in Gujarati and it will still carry meaning. Like a lot of like bus or right or whatever, you know, like lots of English words sort of carry over and have meaning. But uh, when your practice is in a language that is uh, that is different, I mean, that is not English or it, it is not a, a sort of larger, more mainstream language, you, you wonder how is facilitation understood and that's why that's why i keep saying facilitation is so intuitive and it had to be intuitive because there was very little language uh, to teach you facilitation in that language uh, and so there's no words you have to learn what is it that you're saying when you say safe space what is what is the gujarati equivalent of safe space if when you say uh, you know uh, uh, yeah, when you say active listening, what is the what is the Gujarati equivalent of that? You know, and and we spent a considerable amount of time decolonizing ourselves. To be really honest, you know, because so much of uh, of facilitation, uh, I realized much later, can be kind of ensconced in an extremely colonial uh, English, uh, you know, uh, framework uh, from which you have to detach yourself, and that's where intersectional feminism comes in. Essentially, intersectional feminism says that. Feminism is not one one size fits all glove that all of us can wear and operate at whatever time. There is a context and there is power and participation performs differently uh, at different places in the world given how uh, different identities are in the hierarchy of things um, in that space. And so, yeah, I think I think essentially that has been <laughs> it's a very long winded way of saying that this is this has been my journey to sort of coming to a intersectional feminist facilitation space um yeah wow awesome i've been like writing throughout uh, you know the time you were speaking and uh, just to start with i, I think it, it stood out for me that uh, you know in facilitation we often bring the metaphor of a river so much in most conversations and when you spoke about you know and you started talking about your journey as somebody who was born next to a river and i was like wow you know it just is so beautiful yeah, very literal <laughs> yeah um, and i found it interesting that how you spoke about uh, you know depending on i mean you def you described it as when it suits you you talk about being a writer or you know so on and so forth but uh, you know, and I think that's that's a very interesting way to look at facilitation itself because mm. we we are constantly facilitating conversations, thinking, uh, reflection, and it need not be within a training space. Um, mm. I think if you ask me, you know, Fursat Feminism is currently facilitating mm. so many important conversations and people uh, you may not even know directly are sitting and reflecting and perhaps even applying it in very different contexts, right? Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you that uh, I think, uh, you know, that, that need, when a facilitator is driven by the need to be right and, you know, and again, I, this is something that I have also dealt with because, you know, one is as a f young facilitator, you're struggling with your identity in a space, Right where there could be a lot of experts and a lot of gurus, right? And then to be a young woman facilitator back then, uh, you know, and so your your need to, uh, you know, uh, to assert your voice or, you know, the need to feel right, sometimes it's also coming from a place of wanting to claim your space. 
Um, but it took me a while to also understand that how that is not perhaps within the principles of facilitation itself. You know, it doesn't fall within that. Uh, and even today, I find it difficult sometimes to, uh, to you know, uh, uh, um, because a lot of the need to be right also comes from wanting experiences to meet certain outcomes, right? Uh, and the attachment to those outcomes, right? So because you have, uh, you know, as a facilitator, sometimes you could be attached. Uh, of course, you know, if one has crossed that journey, perfect, you're in a great place. But sometimes the that attachment to outcomes, uh, you know, means that, uh, you you've experienced the need to be right because otherwise the conversation can go in a direction that you had not planned it for you had not designed it for right uh, you know uh, and and something that kind of stood out for me and I'm going to just throw throw a sentence at you uh, you know very quickly is uh, uh, you know, and, and the other piece of when we are working with young people, every time somebody, you know, you spoke about like how we look at young people as canvases to be shaped and so on and so forth. And I think I, I, I so resonated with that because I think it's one of the most uh, personally, you know, it's one of the most cringeworthy statements that I always hear when somebody says young people can be molded into anything that you want them to be molded to. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's why where we 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 are where we are as a as a world, as a community, you know, as as a social structure. Um, but let me actually come to a very important question, and I'll tell you this this actually question. This is a question that has stayed with me uh, from an experience on a Sunday, on a rainy Sunday in Bangalore, while I was seated at a rooftop pub with two of my male friends, very close, very dear friends. And it was really, you know, somehow the conversation went into how they find conversations around feminism to be something very isolating, you know. Achha, feminism pe charcha ho rahi hai, so that means that uh, I don't have to be involved in this space, you know. And uh, all that, this space is not for me. But I think, uh, and it's interesting, right? Like a, even if you do a simple Google search, it tells you that how feminism is for both men and women. Lots of important people have spoken about it. And yet, the word itself is something that can create a certain boundary sometimes, you know. Uh, the moment you spe speak of feminism in facilitation spaces or learning spaces, it it is almost like one part of the world has decided, okay, you know, let me go to, I don't know, the next workshop or the next uh, podcast or the next, uh, you know, conversation or the next meeting because this isn't for me. Uh, and then I, you know, I went on to, and, you know, there was a sense of conversation. And at some point I also got angry because I was like, yeah, how can you not see this? You know, please understand you could, you could choose to be not, uh, you know, the breadwinners and providers. And, you know, this might actually be a very liberating experience for you and all of that, all of that happened. And then, you know, that day when I came home ruffled up, uh, you know, a friend actually, and, and I told a friend about it and, a, and that friend actually texted me a line and she said, do you think, and it was not a line, it was a question. She said, do you think women's empowerment and men's sensitization can happen on the same table? And then that also made me then think a lot of women's empowerment uh, designing, you know, learning experiences that I personally have designed 
have been actually only for women like men have not been in the room they're not they're not the target audience right uh but then we realized that it's almost kind of incomplete of sorts but then when i read that sentence i i had to think forget the table can can women's empowerment and men's sensitization happen in the same training room so i'm very curious about how would you respond to that ah uh, so interesting hmm so i think one one quick thought that comes to my mind um, there's two two quick thoughts one one is a response to how your male colleagues responded to this idea of feminism uh this is the most common response that i've heard from especially from cisgender males uh to uh, feminism uh they seem to have a problem with the nomenclature of it feminism matlab wo female kyun dalna hai usme just call it humanist call it equalist call it anything else why do you want to call it feminist matlab problems of nomenclature se uske uske ideology mein what they are saying absolutely no problem with the ideology but don't call it feminism you know and so uh, my simple response to that is there is too much nomenclature out there about so many other things and if you don't actively uh name what who it is that remains marginalized in that space and who that equality is for um e- equality is for in the sense who that uh equality serves to make equal then then there is no then then you're not you're you're trying to be as apolitical as possible in that process and feminism is definitely a way of staying away from being apolitical So, so for example, Adivasi feminists, Dalit feminists, have a very different kind of approach to feminism than, say, Savarna feminists, which is also something that I am also learning as my from my place of being a Savarna feminist. So that is that is my response: is, yar, what is this? What is this obsession with nomenclature um, and changing that nomenclature? And why is it so um, completely, uh, you know? challenging to cis men uh when when something is called uh is is constructed in the feminine um so that's that's my that's my one response to that considering that uh, you know in in the previous episode when i was interviewing uh, a facilitator who relates to the lgbtqi spectrum mm-hmm. and he brought up something very interesting that language is largely masculine right from you know to make it feminine right <laughs> to make yeah. it feminine you always have yeah. to have a prefix or suffix to a masculine word and it's interesting that the nomenclature of feminism has so much discomfort around it anyway i'll let you continue yeah, yeah. and that's what happens when hegemonic uh, structures when you try to name outside of hegemonic structures so if the hegemonic structure is patriarchy and you are used to terming things in the masculine then the feminine just immediately dikh jata hai like it becomes visible and that that is problematic anyway but uh, my other response is this other whole piece of feminism is not accessible uh this whole uh, um thing of fe- feminism stays outside of of uh, and and to some extent i'll cop some uh, I, i mean i i i think some brands of feminism especially extremely academic feminism or extremely uh, you know professional fe- feminism that is shrouded in jargon can often often obfuscate 
the ability for of people to access it to to feel like it is uh, it is it is an everyday lived reality um so so that that does remain the truth but at the same time we we all have learned extremely we have all accessed things that we want to even when they are where they're difficult to access uh, so that if there is an intention you will get to it is my is my, often my response when we talk about women's empowerment journeys and when those empowerment journeys are let's say largely delivered whether by organizations or facilitators like you and me through training as a tool mm. where are men in those processes mm. you know should they be in the room uh should they not be in the room is that sentence true which is you know women's empowerment and men's sensitization cannot happen in the same room yes. and and what happens if men are never joining these processes yes. these learning processes uh, to listen to stories to listen to experiences and conversations or is that a very utopian idea uh so it's it's a it's a pertinent question because it, this is this is a conversation that's been especially in the last maybe half a decade there's been a considerable conversation around men for women men men engage you know men engage in uh, stopping violence on women or uh, engaging men on uh, women's rights issues uh, this is this is a conversation that has kicked off there's a few different threads that i want to sort of touch on um, and and the first of them starts outside of the of outside of the immediate facilitation space um the, con- the the big conversation and i think this is a this is a interesting conversation to have is uh in most development sector processes where uh where you are uh training to to get to to for the behavioral change communication um the onus is on women being the ch- uh, the the change agents right the the onus is on sort of preaching to women what is what is patriarchy um not preaching to women but sort of discussing with women okay i'm not i'm trying trying, trying to take away from those efforts at all but but sort of having all the change labor be focused on women um uh, that any changes that need to come in your life need to come uh, from a woman uh so that is that is a critique of of the entire space is why why is it why is there such a feminization of change labor uh, why why is there such a huge onus on just women being a part of these uh, learning facilitation spaces uh, and of course in the larger change change map um the other the other side of the spectrum and i'm going to sort of play devil's advocate on both sides uh, the, the, there is the other side of the spectrum is that what what has been understood over time is that if you work exclusively with men um uh, for women's uh, for the longest time what you're trying to unshackle within patriarchy is this idea of the the man being the protector of the woman or the man be man having the in, the knowledge or the intellectual resources right uh, that that pushes them so so the so the natural instinct in those spaces uh, and i've spoken to several facilitators about this uh, the natural instinct in these spaces is for men to come and come to want to be a part of those spaces because they go away with more knowledge that they can then use to almost lord over right um now 
th these are the two uh, ends of the spectrum. What happens when you combine <laughs> men and women in the same space? Uh, to be to be perfectly honest, I have done very little of this, uh, especially in uh, feminist uh, training space. In, in the sense, I'm, all of my facilitation comes from feminist space, but specifically when we're talking gender or sexuality, uh, I do I don't like to combine uh, uh, the two genders. We uh, we do say the 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 thought definitely is that you try to bring in trans identities within say male or female spaces so you are sort of making that gender a little more fluid so you say you know women are not this watertight <laughs> compartment of being women because of their biological parts whatever men are not you know this this completely uh, terrible medicalized idea of uh, of gender um, an identity that that shouldn't be there. Uh, what from the few spaces that I have been in, uh, uh, what does seem to happen is a lot of times cis men take a lot of offense to uh, the stories being shared, uh, especially if you make it experiential, you know. Um, and then are you extracting that emotional labor from a female participant to share her sad story so that that male can become sensitive that that feels unethical almost right it, it starts to push at the boundaries of ethics uh, so is that is that performative you're you're demanding a performative emotional yeah performance so that so that that male colleague can feel sensitized to 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 feel to to be a part of that conversation or um, what ends up happening is that uh, there is there is a focus on okay but tell us what you mean by this but then what do you mean by that but then what do you mean by that and and, and a complete usurping of that space uh, by the by the male uh, colleague and as a result the safe, what we call safe spaces, or what we call spaces where uh, things are laid bare, or you know, you are you are experiencing change in motion. Uh, that doesn't happen, and you just end up sort of mostly managing the cis male ego, and and that that's not and and especially those definitely play up more in mixed gender spaces um, is where you have to manage uh, uh, the cis male ego and that I think uh, has been the most challenging part and of course then the the fact that you are a female facilitator uh, <laughs> becomes incredibly pivotal uh, that that I'm a Savarna female facilitator definitely gives me more privilege than say uh, my uh, Dalit or Adivasi counterparts would have or a Muslim counterparts would have but because I'm in that space and I'm able to say, okay, uh, you know, uh, listen to me. Um, and most of the time, these are men that hold sort of in in other spaces of life, their their, their positionality is maybe equal to me or or not as. And so, therefore, it is easier for me to control that space to to find some control. Uh, and so much of your energy as a facilitator then in that space. You, you end up just engaging with control. And that is one of the first things you learn to let go as a facilitator, right? And it's one of the first things in your instinctive journey as a 
facilitator you learn to let go of like you said the outcome this this idea of this fixed result this idea of uh, how is it that a learning journey must occur uh, how is it that a conversation must go uh, that those are the first things that you unlearn and then you enter this space and you find yourself sort of just managing and controlling and and it 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 really slips um, uh, very quickly into into a realm into the realm of sort of just going through the paces um, rather than engaging so i think the question uh, for me the the solution i don't think there is a there's a set solution and i think they change from situation to situation but i think the way of engage the way i think about it uh, is if you don't think of the participants that you're engaging with as subjects to carry forward your agenda or change labor uh, then you can engage with a with a you know all women trans women space of uh, facilitation on gender and sexuality because there is there is safety in community there is safety in collectives and there is an incredible amount of uh, of of validation that you get from that space of who who you are and what you are seeking and what your aspirations are they might be invisibilized throughout by the misogyny that's prevalent around you but suddenly in this space you like i think you were also saying something about how uh, in activism spaces the space of learning is is um, safe but the activist activism space outside is unsafe i would say very similar in feminism uh, feminist f- uh, facilitation in feminist spaces also i feel like there is there is some some aspect of uh, safety within the learning space uh, that you try to create so that there is more validation because uh, as women we are tend we are sort of made to feel extremely alone and i think a lot of feminist facilitation spaces essentially tell you you are not alone you are not the only one thinking this you are not the only one experiencing this this is a universal reality and there is a larger program to keep you away from other people who are experiencing the same thing and talking to them about it so just so so the intention is so different and so specific um that i'm not too fussed about whether men are a part of that conversation or not because then the women who are a part of those spaces are going out and having those conversations with men uh, are performing their identity as women and trans women in specific ways that challenge traditional patriarchy as it is um and and so yeah i think i, I and then do i in terms of any other facilitation space i do completely enjoy having very mixed genders in that space because i feel like uh when you bring in a feminist perspective within when you're doing something completely unrelated not unrelated there's nothing unrelated but say for example you're facilitating a session on power or values or something really generic um you still bring in a feminist perspective that engenders that space and that's the other question you had asked i think was this question of do we do, are we moving towards ungendering uh, i would say you have to engender to ungender in the sense that you have to enter a space and make it really obvious how completely problematic the double standards are with gender uh, across the spectrum and it uh, it's after everybody realizes that that we can move to a genderless uh, reality uh, because 
so much of the communities that we work with still are located so much in the gender binary and are located so much in the gender realities of the everyday that until you call the bluff on gender and you say it's a complete social construct um, there is no basis to why certain people must say act dress a certain way uh, because of an ascription of a gender once you do away with that then you can move move towards you know genderless language genderless facilitation that sort of thing but yeah you first have to engender to ungender <laughs> awesome awesome you you spoke of how we have to engender first before we go to ungender so let's just say okay fine as facilitators we are all our starting line is the engendering process of learning spaces right could you define what an in you know that process would look like or you know what would an engendered learning space or training space mean what kind of characteristics would it have 